Ian Trottier, Wednesday. Today is June 24th, 2020. Interesting uh, year we are having. Uh, the time is 4.11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And in a few moments, we will be joined by Kevin Galilei. He's a Canadian human rights activist, author, historian, and world's foremost independent authority on covert geopolitical programs and policies with respect to decarbonization and depopulation. Galilei occupies a truly unique role in the world today and an unprecedented position as a lone outsider and formidable force. Without official function or the support of any government, but who nevertheless imposed his will on the UN system, the Holy See, and that is S-E-E, and governments around the world, and forced them to steer away from covert methods of depopulation towards overt population control legislation, therefore single-handedly reshaping the post-World War II international framework for peace and setting mankind on a new course. Kevin's education, global public health at University of Michigan, International Economics, Columbia University, Environmental Science, Stockholm University, International Relations, University of Leicester, Distance Learning, Political Philosophy at University of Oxford, Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, History of Architecture at McGill University, History of Art and German Studies at University of Victoria. Uh, so it is uh, fairly extensive. Last week, we were joined by Gary J. Byrne, a former Secret Service Uniformed Division Officer. He spoke about his time in the White House serving uh, Bill Clinton, and he spoke about Hillary, uh, being alongside Hillary Clinton and seeing her interact with uh, people. And before, uh, before Gary, prior to Gary, on the first hour of the program, we uh, hosted Nick Binge, author of Professor Everywhere. This program, ladies and gentlemen, this program is dedicated to the late, my friend and uh, very uh, influential, important figure in my life. Rest in peace, sir. Rest in peace, the late Dennis B. B-E-E. Moment of silence for Dennis. Uh, life is short, folks, and uh, one never knows which breath will be their last. So enjoy those that you are experiencing with uh, the utmost level of enjoyment. The uh, week prior to 
uh, Gary and Nick last week, uh, Temple Grandin joined us. She is a professor at the uh, Colorado State University, and her character, pardon me, uh, was played by Claire Danes. She has autism, uh, yet she has a PhD. So, um, overcoming challenges, she would be a, uh, she is, uh, her story is a great story to follow, should you desire to overcome any challenge you may be facing, or your children may be facing, or anyone that you may know may be facing. And, of course, we were joined prior to that by Miriam Henning and Dr. Hall, uh, for a second time, uh, Michael Hall out of, of Miami Beach. Um, the second show this afternoon will be uh, William Arkin. We have now, uh, since the uh, COVID-19 epidemic, or pandemic rather, has uh, uh, straddled, I use that word purposefully, uh, the, the globe, uh, the, um, the uh, demand, if you will, for discussions of truth has risen. And uh, we are frequently now doing uh, two and three hour shows, uh, starting uh, starting an hour earlier than the regular slotted time, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So today again, uh, here we are at four o'clock, and the five o'clock hour will be joined by William Arkin, American political commentator, best-selling author, journalist, activist, blogger, and former United States Army soldier who's previously served as a military affairs analyst for the Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, and the New York Times. His book. Uh, which will be of subject along uh, other uh, subjects. Uh, American Coup, How a Terrified Government is Destroying the Constitution. What is happening in the United States of America right now? Is it falling apart? That was my question to Gary last week, Gary Byrne, former Secret Service officer. He said, no, it's not. What is your view as you listen to this? If you are listening to this outside of the United States, what is your view? Uh, the protests are out of control. Okay, protesting there's nothing wrong with rooting or excuse me, rioting, looting. Uh, that's an issue. Tearing down statues. Well, I, I have an issue with that. That needs to they need to be removed from you know they're not just torn down and vandalized and destroyed. I don't agree with that. Those are living human beings. Okay, sure, just like anybody, any human being. But that statue was. Erected for purpose. Okay, let's understand the purpose. Perhaps they own slaves. There are many societies, not this United States society. There are many societies in the course of humanity where there have been slaves. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, slavery is a major issue today, continues to be a major issue. Sex slaves, there are various types of slavery currently in existence today. So I would just suggest pause, contemplate prior to destroying, uh, decapitating, vandalizing, uh, any statue based on what? Uh, uh, impulse? Um, I've never owned a slave. Don't have any desire to own a slave. Myself, just like likely you, if you're in the United States, you are an economic slave to the Federal Reserve. So you are a slave. You are an economic slave. Whether you're white, you're Asian, you're black, whatever you may be, or however you may identify yourself as being, you are a slave. You are in the United States. You are an economic. This is this is my opinion, which I am going to state as being a fact, till you can prove it otherwise. You are a you are an economic slave to the Federal Reserve System of the United States. Add up the numbers. Go into history. That was developed just a few decades after the resolution of the Civil War. And you think you think Civil War had anything to do with race? 
No, it had everything to do with controlling and manipulating finan- people financially. Okay, so um, there we go. And uh, next week, we're going to shift gears with uh, Gerald Horn, professor at the University of uh, Houston, uh, degrees from Princeton, Columbia, and Cal Berkeley. He'll be talking about, as a black man, he'll be talking about his view of uh, colonial, disgusting colonial uh, uh, racist acts. Again, we're going to get into race. And we're going to follow that up with the, the week uh, uh, following that with the J.P. Lindstra uh, panel on, on race. So the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about race. Uh, we are right now going to bring in Mr. Kevin Galilee. You've tuned in to Ian Trache. This is Discussion of Truth. I'm here every Wednesday starting now at 4 p.m., uh, not officially, still officially at the 5, five o'clock uh, mark, uh, but now for about four or five months we have been starting earlier, sometimes as, as early as three. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter to keep up the tabs with when I start. Um, if they're posted, I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R, uh, contribute to the to, to the uh, program financially if you so choose. Five bucks a month, a dollar a month, 50 cents a month, 500 bucks a month, whatever you so choose. Uh, this is self-financed, and in case you haven't noticed, you are not being delivered just media through... Um, through your uh, large media outsource, CNN, Fox News, whatever it may be. Don't take sides politically, folks. Folks, they're both uh, they, they're both harmful, in my opinion. Um, okay, so right now, Kevin Galilee, we're going to bring him in on Skype and calling him Mr. Kevin Galilee right now. The name is Ian Trottier. I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. This is Kevin Galilee. Here we go. Kevin, Kevin Galilee. Hi, hi Ian. Should I um, answer with video or without? Well, we can do video. I can chime you in on video here. Uh, I don't have the pod set up, but uh, there I am. There you are. There we are. Oh, and uh, the broadcast, and might as well not do video then. Well, we can just do audio, sure. Uh, we can keep it a video. It doesn't matter. All right. Um, let's uh, record this since we do have the video going. Okay. And uh, I'll hit the record. Here we go. Good. Um, Kevin, welcome to Discussion of Truth, and uh, I appreciate your time and uh, effort to join the program. Uh, for for listeners, like- for listeners, sir, would you please uh, give a – you've got an extensive academic – uh, resume uh, at Oxford, Michigan, Columbia. Um, give a give a little background, sir, on 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 uh, those achievements and and who you are, if you would please. Well, my greatest achievement achievement, I suppose, is um, exposing the global population control policy or the depopulation policy, however you want to call it. Prior to that, I exposed the surveillance and censorship program three years before Edward Snowden uh, confirmed it. Um, from the inside, so to say. Uh, then I went on to uh, change policy nationally and internationally by applying pressure on governments and the UN system to reform uh, their ways, namely to stop pursuing uh, population control, thus demographic and ultimately uh, economic and political objectives through covert methods, and to just bring out the uh, population control program into the open and pursue it legally. Um, and that is a battle against uh, the international order, which has been in place since 1945. So it is truly a David against Goliath battle that is going on 
uh, as you can see, now this battle has uh, has come uh, at uh, at our doorsteps uh, for every human being on the planet because this pandemic is nothing more than the latest strategy of uh, of geopolitics of trying to accomplish geopolitical objectives. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you said this. Now, this is for for listeners. Okay, so we've we've got, of course. Are you in Canada right now? Where are you right now, Kevin? No, I'm in uh, in Bucharest, Romania. I've been here for the past four and a half years. I left Canada because uh, it was impossible to uh, to do my work there. The government of Canada had become um, too repressive. They kept uh, imprisoning me. Um, I was imprisoned there uh, seven times, and um, it, it was just impossible to continue to work there and to live. They tried basically everything. Um, known to to man to deter me from exposing uh, global uh, policies and programs. They did not succeed. However, I did have to leave. Uh, initially, uh, I left Canada for the United States. I sought uh, a form of silent asylum there. I was there for about a year. I have a sister in Florida. I lived there for about a year. Then I returned back to Canada to confront the system from within. I did. I was imprisoned again, kept for another nine and a half months. Uh, eventually, I left the country to uh, to apply pressure on the Vatican um, here in Europe, and this brought me to Europe. And then I came to visit my home country. I was born and raised in uh, in Romania. Uh, we immigrated as a family to Germany uh, in 1981 and to Canada in 1985. I spent 30 years in all in Canada, but now I'm back in uh, in Europe. It, it, the, the human rights are much better respected here. Uh, nobody bothers me. I can. Um, I can pursue uh, this only important work. That's amazing. What was what was the government of Canada? What were they trying to? Uh, or what were they imprisoned you on? What were the grounds? They kept making up uh, uh, false charges. Um, they would keep me locked up until uh, court date, and then they would just release me prior to court. Um, and every time uh, I would um, uh, expose, you know, another side or facet of the. Uh, Either the surveillance program and later on the the population control program. I'll get a warning uh, that if I don't stop, they'll come for me again. And that's exactly what they did. And they kept coming for me with new false charges, keep me locked up again uh, for as long as they could, pushing you know the boundaries uh, of the legal system, which is a disgrace in Canada and I suppose elsewhere when it comes to the population control program, because this program is extrajudicial. It is above the law. Every uh, UN uh, um, member state, and we have what, 196, I believe, UN member states um, have to uh, abide uh, by these um, self-imposed uh, uh, restrictions on human rights and liberties. In other words, uh, the um, uh, the rule of law stops where geopolitics begins. Okay, so, you, so you bring up, you bring up a, 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 well. Let me let me let me mention the. A few weeks ago, we had on uh, the program uh, Gerald Posner. Gerald Gerald has written three New York Times bestselling books. Uh, one, one of those books, uh, God's Bankers, and he gets into the finances of the Vatican. Um, and I want you, for listeners, to go down that road and talk about this. But I also want to, uh, prior to getting to that, uh, Kevin, I want to kind of isolate the if, if this may be the first time that listeners are, are are being exposed to or hearing about a depopulation agenda, I think it might be alarming for them to consider that. But here is also, like you're saying, a, a opportune time to insert that given 
the uh, current uh, pandemic, the, the, the COVID-19, which if, if, if presented in the proper light for listeners, it starts to add up and make sense to them. Um, so let's start with there. And let me, let me mention this, Kevin. Let me just mention this. And, and I don't know if you've done any research on this or not, but in the United States, I think it was 1979, there were, um, and this is very theoretical because there's, there's, there's no real link to it, but it does coincide with this depopulation uh, uh, discussion, if you will, uh, that, that we've got here with you. Uh, the Georgia Guidestones. So these are, and I've not seen them in person, but these are evidently written in various languages. And one of the, one of the elements of the, the Guidestones is, is just this, a projected uh, population number, I think it's 500 million, um, uh, that, uh, that somehow the powers that may be, right, the deep, deep state or whatever it may be, um, is identifying a goal of achieving a certain number of uh, 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 human beings to occupy the planet. Is this something that you're aware of? Yes, of course, the Georgia Guidestones uh, merely express an ideal uh, a population number and an ideal uh, system, if you want. Uh, they're nothing more than that. Uh, they're also used you know, to, to bring the attention away from governments onto the supposedly uh, secret organization or the deep state. But uh, the reality is that uh, all governments that are UN member states and, of course, uh, every uh, nation on earth is a UN member state with a few exceptions uh, participates willingly or unwillingly in this program of population control uh, whose motto is um, by mutual coercion mutually agreed upon the, initially the population control program was a substitute to war and it came to be at the end of the second world war once uh, the Americans and the Russians had developed nuclear weapons and conventional war became impossible. Had it come to another war, to a third world war, right. it would have been nuclear and therefore catastrophic for uh, all parties involved. Nobody could win this war. So they had to find a substitute to war to balance population and resources. And the population and resources throughout history, uh, this balance has been disrupted by the fact that population grows much faster than uh, people can eke out uh, resources from, from this planet. Um, population uh, apps and population control methods, both chemical and biological, and social, of course, and economic, because they all apply, uh, would, a population would double every 20 years. Of course, infrastructure and food production could not double every 20 years, especially uh, during the many centuries when everything was done by hand. There was no machinery uh, and no motors to help us. So is this... Uh, since... Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Since 1945, when the United Nations came into being, uh, the United Nations has pursued in secret uh, this balancing act of major proportions, of global proportions between population um, and uh, resources. Um, and it was to, to prevent war, a uh, third world yeah. war, also to preserve uh, resources for future generations so we don't consume, consume them fast and that nature can replenish them. Uh, and th this program has been pursued in secret through covert chemical and biological methods, the covert chemical methods being uh, all of these endocrine disruptors that are um, found in our food, that are being placed there in our food uh, and drinks uh, by governments, 
with the aid of a military-industrial com uh, complex, um, uh, there are uh, upward of 300 endocrine disruptors in our food system, and they all either subvert fertility or immunity because in order to control population growth, you have to limit births and to control deaths, the object being to have the, equal, the same number of births and deaths uh, in any given year for any given country, uh, about 10 per 1,000 being the optimal. And that's what they're shooting for. Uh, and now um, we're in the midst of a transition from covert chemical methods through these endocrine disruptors uh, uh, with covert or rather coercive biological methods, mainly mandatory vaccines, which is why uh, COVID-19 serves as a pretext for uh, pushing and um, uh, enforcing mandatory vaccines, bringing mandatory vaccines onto uh, a global uh, level and pushing that down our throats making it um, um, a condition for uh, travel, a condition for going back to normal, as they say now, uh, a condition for um, perhaps in the near future uh, for working in a certain setting. We can see, for instance, that already medical staff are being put under a lot of pressure to get vaccinated, otherwise yeah. they'll lose their jobs. The same yep. with civil servants, teachers, and so on. They will find various methods to uh, to force everybody. Uh, now we see this uh, in terms of travel. You cannot travel unless you show uh, some kind of uh, proof that you're not infected with COVID-19. By the way, a virus that doesn't even exist. It's a complete uh, fiction. Um, is it a hoax? Uh, uh, yes, it is, a, it is a hoax. It is a fiction. And why is it a fiction? Um, when uh, I uncovered the program of population control, which we used very brutal methods in the past, yeah. um, uh, I basically shut down a government's ability to to, uh, to commit mass murder um, in the name of balancing people's resources. Uh, and since they can no longer do that, they cannot they can no longer commit mass murder or genocide. Uh, all they can do now, they're limited now to creating the fear necessary. Uh, to coerce populations to do uh, certain things. Uh, and the COVID-19 uh, um, pandemic uh, was um, concocted as a, as a strategy for pursuing two grand geopolitical objectives, uh, namely um, addressing the uh, overconsumption problem of the developed world and the overpopulation problem of the developing world, uh, and um, ultimately, by addressing these two issues, uh, also uh, addressing the problem of, um, uh, of climate change and pollution and environmental damage, which is encapsulated by the term decarbonization. Uh, the goal being to, trans to transition the global economy from uh, an economy based on fossil fuels to one based on renewable energy sources. This is the primary objective, the, the core of this strategy. It, uh, it lies behind uh, everything, including the social distancing measure, including the, the mandatory mask measure, and so on. And let me explain how that works. By um, creating this, this uh, fear um, and this um, purported um, medical crisis, it has given governments the um, pretext they needed to enforce a lockdown or a quarantine or curfews. Uh, and they have done this for the months of uh, February, March, and April. In some countries, it's ongoing. It started uh, earlier 
in China and then Europe and then moved on to uh, the UK and uh, uh, United States and so on. Uh, but it is basically limited to the G20 countries. Uh, why? Because the G20 countries are the greatest polluters. They right. produce most greenhouse gas emissions uh, and uh, the most consumption. So by shutting down industry in the G20 nations, they have reduced uh, consumption. They have addressed the overconsumption problem of the developed world. Uh, and uh, therefore, they have limited, they have lowered emissions to the target that was indicated by the IPCC, the International Panel uh, for Climate Change, to 7%. But they were gunning for a 7% annual decrease, and that is exactly what they will accomplish. Well, during the lockdown, when industry was shut down, transport was shut down, and uh, people were under stay-at-home order, uh, the um, right. uh, the um, uh, the greenhouse gas emissions were lowered by 30, uh, 35, 40 percent for those two months. Uh, that, of course, was a temporary gain, a temporary reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. Now the goal is to make uh, some of these gains permanent. They need at least 7 percent annual reduction. So by the end of the year, they need to have lowered greenhouse gas emissions globally by 7 percent. And how are they accomplishing this? Of course, they cannot keep people locked down under lockdown, under quarantine until the end of the year because we will all starve to death. Uh, but they can uh, reduce consumption and therefore greenhouse gas emissions uh, uh, through the uh, social distancing measure and also the uh, mandatory mask measure. How does that work? Well, uh, let's say you're a restaurant. Uh, you can seat 100 uh, customers at your tables. Now, with the social distancing, you can only seat 20. So you've or 30. So you have uh, you have lowered uh, consumption by 60, 70 percent simply by limiting the number of people who can come in and consume. The same applies for malls. You can see malls uh, in all of Europe and uh, basically in all G20 countries are still closed or they just reopened under these conditions. Now uh, people cannot enter the malls in any number. Uh, they have to uh, enter uh, much fewer. And with the mandatory mask measure, that forces people to stay as little uh, as possible. It is very unpleasant to wear that mask. Uh, and so you're basically going in, you're doing the shopping you you absolutely need, and then you get out as fast as possible. You don't linger there, and you don't engage in, um, um, in impulse shopping, which constitutes about 50% of all consumption. So they've reduced impulse shopping through the mandatory mask. They have uh, limited uh, access to uh, to malls and places where you can spend money and where you can consume through the uh, social distancing measure, and therefore will have reduced uh, consumption hopefully by seven to ten percent by the end of the year uh, annually uh, by the end of the year and globally. That is uh, that is the goal. And since the G20 nations are the ones responsible for 75 percent, that's three quarters of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, we see that. Uh, all of these so-called infections uh, and deaths uh, through COVID-19 have occurred in the G20 nations. Uh, some 85% of all um, infections and some 92 93% of all deaths have supposedly occurred in the G20 nations. Uh, that is, of course, no coincidence. No by inflating numbers, by creating fear and panic, that provided governments with the... Um, um, with the plausible deniability, with the pretext, first of all, to shut down industry, and the plausible deniability to uh, to preserve the illusion of um, of legitimacy and of the rule of law. 
because uh, obviously this is against the law. You can't, you know, sabotage. You can't engage as a government in um, create a destruction of your own economy, because then you'd be liable uh, to reimburse all of these um, industries that suffer. And of course, the industries that suffer most are those that are considered uh, uh, non-essential, unessential. Uh, in other words, uh, retail, uh, hospitality, tourism, uh, aviation, uh, entertainment, professional sports. Uh, we see that these ones are still uh, shut down. Uh, and of course, there are, um, uh, there are other aspects of, of this reduction of consumption and therefore reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. For instance, the digitization aspect of this uh, pandemic by staying home, uh, you can imagine you have millions and millions of workers who no longer have to travel to and from uh, work. Um, you have offices that now no longer have to be heated, uh, lit, and so on. Um, people work from home, live at home, work from home. That contributes to a tremendous saving of resources, uh, of energy, and therefore um, a substantial decrease of um, greenhouse gas emissions. That is, uh, in a nutshell, the strategy behind the pandemic. And of course, they need the fear and panic to keep people at home because government would be overwhelmed if it had to enforce this through brute power. People, however, now stay home out of fear, uh, out of fear for their own lives. So they are playing on people's um, survival instinct. Um, yeah. And they don't have to, to use uh, brute power, which is why, you know, they're being, uh, they're, try they're trying to be so persuasive. Uh, on TV, why uh, the mainstream media is fully engaged, why, why all kinds of uh, starlets and um, um, and uh, athletes and famous people are uh, um, providing, you know, examples to people how to stay home and uh, and behave and so on. Uh, they're trying to make this, you know, as uh, pleasant and as easy as possible. We see also how they compensate um, people financially for not being able to uh, to work, so they. They're not driven to uh, desperation, and you know we can't just sit at home and start to death. Uh, a huge amount of money is being uh, is being spent now on keeping people home. Uh, whether that can be maintained, obviously, uh, it is an open question. I am convinced that it cannot be maintained. First of all, financially, cannot be maintained. Cannot decrease the economy by 30% without uh, causing a um, a global uh, financial crisis. We see the, the biggest recession in 80 years has been uh, forecast now by the World Bank. And what that means, uh, people have no clue uh, what yeah. uh, what it means to, to, to live through a recession that is worse than the one in the 1930s in the United States, which put millions of people onto the street uh, and was extraordinarily painful. This is going to be extraordinarily painful. Um, I hope that they, uh, they have... Um, well thought out plans to um, to prevent you know that kind of hardship that people lived through uh, previous um, um, recessions um, such as the one in the 30s in the United States or the ones after the first and second world war uh, in Europe uh, whether they will succeed remains to be seen we see however that um, a lot of companies uh, are going bankrupt um, in these industries that I mentioned are considered non-essential that are being, in a sense, sacrificed for the decarbonization process. Um, and, um, and unemployment has skyrocketed. Um, you have higher numbers of people now than, you know, in the past uh, 30 years in, in some places, um, the highest number of unemployed people ever. 
and that has created a lot of uncertainty, as you can imagine. Um, uh, and what this will ultimately lead to, because they so they are they are uh, decreasing the economy um, through this creative destruction by sacrificing uh, key industries. But they want to decrease the economy by about 10% because that would lead to a 10% reduction in emissions, 10% fewer economic activity, 10% reduction in emissions, uh, approximately. Uh, but but that means you know uh, a lot of hardship. Uh, and how do you mitigate for that uh, economically in the in the long run? How do you maintain this kind of downward uh, downward spiral? And how do you control this downward spiral? Because that can easily get out of control. They could easily uh, lose control of this and be unable to stop it at you know at ten percent. Uh, it may go down twenty percent, thirty percent. Already, I see signs that they've lost control because they're trying to say some companies they're not succeeding. Um, so there's going to be a, a great deal of uh, hardship for the sake of decarbonization. Why would governments uh, do this and the international system decide to do this? Well, uh, because we are in a desperate state. Um, the uh, scientific consensus is that um, climate change and um, um, environmental destruction is so far advanced that if we don't do something drastic now, we will never be able to... Um, to stall this process, uh, to halt it, and to save ourselves from, you know, from destruction, uh, from environmental destruction, uh, and it is the eleventh uh, hour, if not the twelfth hour, one minute before twelve, uh, and they have decided to act, and act they did. And they have done something that is truly radical, and I must praise them for having the courage to do this. Uh, I give them, you know, uh, an A. Uh, for um, for trying and an A plus for lying, uh, because they are all lying through their teeth, and I can imagine it's not easy to stand in front of millions of people and tell you know such blatant uh, lies for the few people who are in the know, because most everybody else is being deceived, uh, including people in the medical community. Um, but um, my contention is that uh, nothing good can ever come uh, from lying nothing lasting. You cannot build a better system. You cannot base the future on a foundation of lies. Uh, this is a very uh, unstable uh, structure. Uh, it will collapse. It has already started to collapse. And uh, what will bring it down? Well, the mere truth will bring down this house of cards. If people find out, uh, you know, what I have to say, that uh, this is merely a strategy for decarbonization, in other words, for reducing consumption in the developed world, and also the other aspect being reducing population in the developing world. I will address the uh, uh, the uh, uh, depopulation aspect of this uh, in a few minutes. Um, but if people find find out, then they will lose the fear of this virus, this you know illusory virus, and they will no longer abide by the stay-at-home orders. They will no longer respect the social distancing and the wearing of mandatory masks and so on. And then this, uh, this um, decrease in greenhouse gas emissions that was accomplished during the two or three months of lockdown, this 35% 30, uh, decrease, will evaporate uh, during the rest of the year. And they are trying to make sure that it is at least a 7% decrease. And uh, according to the calculation, latest calculations, um, if if the um, the lockdown, uh, I'm sorry, if the uh, social distancing measure um, and the mandatory mask measure is not kept in place um, until the end of the year, right. then 
uh, these reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, these 30-35% reductions in greenhouse gas emissions will have, will, have, uh, will have come down to just a 4% decrease, which is not sufficient to make up for that uh, um, IPCC target of 7%, which is what is necessary in order to prevent the climate from heating up by more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. Um, and cause you know um, uh, all of these um, consequences, which will be uh, irreversible. So um, yes, Kevin, I, you're on a roll, and I and, and I want you to keep that thought there. What I want to do also, though, is insert um, when you mention they, who who are you talking about? Uh, are you talking about the UN or players behind that? Uh, Basically, uh, most uh, G20 governments are on board. Um, uh, there are some oddballs out there, who people who have not been uh, brought into this plan because uh, they are they come from outside the system, the political system, um, and this mode of thinking. And Donald Trump, President Trump, being uh, one of them, uh, I'm sure that in the meantime he uh, has realized what is going on as well, and he. Uh, you know, whether he wants to or not, he's caught in this. The same with the president of Brazil, Bolsonaro, mm. um, the president of Tanzania, uh, the president of Mexico. There are a few presidents of Belarus, for instance, uh, who have uh, not been brought in or have refused to play along. Uh, however, what is important is that the G20 nations play, play along because they are responsible for 75% of the world's uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Therefore, they must be responsible for uh, the greatest decrease in consumption and uh, consequently in emissions. And the vast majority of them are on board. Um, I, the only one, the only two that I can think of, the G20 nations, uh, three rather, uh, is President Trump, President Bolsonaro of Brazil, and the President of Spain of uh, Mexico. I'm sorry. But these three seem to be to seem to me to be outside of the loop. Uh, but the yeah, I mean, there is a military-industrial complex. There is the United Nations uh, system, and this is, of course, uh, driven by uh, the United Nations system uh, with the assistance of uh, of governments. When governments signed up to be UN member states, they signed up to this um, to this um, mutual coercion, mutually agreed upon system. In other words, every country uh, forces every other country and all countries force each other uh, to uh, lower populations and now also to lower consumption. Because any any assessment of the problems that we face um, uh, leads to only one conclusion. We cannot save uh, the destruction of the planet. We cannot safeguard uh, resources for future generations. And we cannot maintain international peace unless the uh, population uh, and resources are stabilized uh, at a level that the planet can tolerate um, in perpetuity, in other words, sustainably, hence the sustainability agenda. So this, right. uh, you know, every, all of this hides behind the sustainability agenda. They're trying to create a system, a civilization that is sustainable uh, long into the future uh, and that does not live from the resources of future generations and destabilizes um, the natural environment, um, these uh, so-called planetary boundaries, uh, these 10 planetary boundaries. The, because if we destabilize these planetary boundaries, then we make uh, life, at least civilized life, 
civilized civilization impossible on planet Earth. We stabilize the climate and the other planetary boundaries to such an extent that uh, civilization becomes impossible. For instance, you won't be able to practice agriculture because the climate will be so unstable, you would lose crops. Uh, if the oceans uh, heat up, um, because the atmosphere heats up, then uh, the uh, water level will rise and we will lose coastal areas and islands and uh, a billion people will be displaced. Well, where will they go? Already we see. Today, today we have 65 million displaced people internationally and nationally, global, globally, on the global scale. That's just 65 million. Well, imagine if this number rises to one billion, which would be a seventh or an eighth population, yep. right? We cannot cope with uh, with the number of immigrants now uh, at 65 million. How are we going to cope with one billion uh, climate refugees? It's just not possible. And on top of that with uh, uh, less and less food production uh, because the climate will have been destabilized. So how does, governments are under a rock and a hard place. Kevin, how does the Holy See play into this? The Holy See has a central role because it is responsible for, um, for deciding what the ethical boundaries, the moral boundaries uh, of this program this, uh, of population control is and the the uh, ethical boundaries uh, that have been uh, decided upon by the Vatican are um, inside of a document of an encyclical letter called Humane Vitae on the regulation of birth published in 1967 uh, or 68 um, and there in paragraph 15 it states that uh, the Holy See uh, the church allows governments or finds it legal uh, ethical if governments subvert fertility so long as it is in the process of controlling disease, which is why everything that we see now hides behind uh, behind this uh, this front of uh, medicine and public health. Uh, they uh, they are adding all these uh, endocrine disruptors to our food uh, for various uh, health reasons. They want to vaccinate us for everything under the sun to prevent this, that, or the other disease. But behind that uh, is really nothing more than the need to subvert fertility and immunity in order to control births and deaths. And because of the permission that the church has given secular authorities. In other words, what the church has said, well, if we have to do this, because we have no other choice, it's a, it's an ultimately it is an evil thing to to deprive people of their uh, fertility, uh, of their ability to have children, and of their immunity now, even though that is not stated in uh, in the encyclical Humanae Vitae, um, but is understood, uh, at least it is visible, you know, subsequently. So if they have, if governments have to do this, uh, this necessary evil, then they should do good uh, in return. Hence, if you're going to sterilize people, then provide them with some kind of health benefit or whatever, the flu uh, or uh, this or that childhood disease um, or, or, or malaria and so on. That is, yeah, go ahead. is uh, the role of the Vatican. That is the role of the Vatican. And um, the Vatican is basically the oversight agency, the moral, ethical oversight agency of the United Nations, which is what, which, which is why the Vatican is the only state, the only nation state that is not a member of hmm. the United Nations. But it is, it has full observer status. 
in other words, it has all the privileges without any of the responsibilities. Why? Because only in this fashion can the Vatican uh, provide um, oversight, uh, be privy to everything that is decided within uh, the uh, United Nations and its organizations without having to do the same themselves. They make the rules. The United Nations uh, ensures that everybody, uh, that every nation uh, imposes these rules on their own people. Uh, and that is how the system has worked since 1945. And why was this initiated in 1945? Well, because uh, the, uh, we, the world has gone through two world wars and um, obviously we could not go on like this. Uh, it was time to evolve. A war could not be used forever as a, a means of population control, and because of the development of nuclear weapons, it could not be used at all. It would have led to the assured mutual destruction of all parties, uh, and uh, that is that is that is why the system has evolved from uh, war as a matter of population control to um, um, the subversion of fertility as a method of population control. And having subverted fertility for 40, 50 years, depending on the country, because it started in developed nations first, first, and then it moved on to developing nations and then to the least developed nations. Uh, now in the uh, developed nations, we have inverted population pyramids. Too many old people at the top of the pyramid, too few people working at the middle, and even fewer children coming up, right? So these are very unstable financially because there are not enough young people to pay the pension plans and the medical costs of the old people. So here come, we, we come to the um, depopulation aspect of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic or pandemic, um, however you want to call it. The goal has been in the developed world to tackle the old age problem, the old age burden. In all developed nations, uh, they are plagued now by an old age burden of well above 20%. In some uh, some countries, 25, 26 percent, and that is unsustainable. And it becomes more and more unsustainable because if they don't do anything about it, you will have an old age burden of 50, 60 percent by the middle of this century. Already, governments cannot cope uh, with the financial costs of this burden. So, how are they going at 20, 25 percent uh, old age burden? How are they going to cope at 56 percent? We they will collapse long before they get there. So how are they pursuing this? Uh, as I said, they can no longer simply murder people, which, which is what they did before uh, through you know, chemical poisoning and uh, uh, deadly vaccines. Uh, now they're doing it in a far more civilized way. They're merely denying people access to uh, life extension services. So uh, people who are chronically ill and all very old and very ill who are dependent on the government for medical care and for assisted living, they obviously cost the government a tremendous amount of money, therefore the taxpayers a tremendous amount of money, which can no longer be sustained because their numbers are growing. Uh, and by denying them access to the hospitals, uh, you basically let them die at home. Uh, so which, that's why they're using uh, the excuse that COVID-19 uh, is filling the hospitals. We have to keep the hospitals uh, reserve the hospitals for COVID-19 patients. Uh, everybody else has to stay home and has to uh, make do. Uh, we all know that hospitals are empty. Uh, they're empty for this reason. The government will no longer pay for these life extension uh, services, will no longer pay for the medication, for the uh, uh, medical protocols, for the surgeries, and, and so on. Um, the cost of keeping, the, the medical cost accrued over a lifetime 
80% um, of the medical cost accrued over a lifetime is spent uh, in the last year of life, last year or two of life. Mm -hmm. So um, it is, it, it, it really, at this time, as horrible as that sounds, instead of spending, you know, uh, half a million dollars or euros to keep uh, an 80 year old alive for another year, uh, it is really much better to spend that money uh, funding, you know, schools, infrastructure, and so on, and uh, uh, the education of the young, um, uh, and everything else that uh, that uh, is part and parcel of maintaining civilization. So governments now are denying people these life extension services. They are in effect providing um, assisted suicide or mercy killing, if you want. Uh, and uh, they're doing this uh, primarily. We see that. Uh, 60 to 90 percent of all deaths that have occurred, presumably because of COVID-19, have occurred in all age homes. Mm -hmm. And that's no coincidence. This is the target population. Right? And we see, for instance, that the only discrepancy between uh, the number of deaths you know, in any given year is in this age bracket, 65 plus. In other words, no more people are dying now than they have ever died because there is no COVID-19. There's, there's only... Uh, a misdiagnosis uh, and an inflation of the numbers, and of course the propagation of, of fear through you know mass media. Um, however, more older people are dying now because they are being denied these life extension uh, services. At the same time, in the developing world, which uh, has started the population control program much, much later. They don't have these inverted population uh, pyramid. They don't have an old age problem. So their problem still is that their population grows too fast, that the uh, fertility is too high, you know, well above the 2.1 children per woman, which is necessary to keep uh, population stable. So it neither grows nor decreases. Um, they have uh, a problem of, of rapidly growing population uh, at a time when we've already reached the limits of planet Earth in terms of resources. Uh, so there, the onus now is on sterilizing people, uh, covertly sterilizing them. And for, we see, for instance, that uh, they're playing a really good game. Uh, the president of Madagascar, Madagascar has gone on record, you know, to, to uh, very furious that... Uh, um, certain drugs or uh, first were being denied the Africans and secondly that their remedies were not accepted by the World Health Organization. Of course the remedy that they push is this, this syrup, this concoction which is based on the Artemisia, on the Artemisia plant uh, uh, and the, Arte the wormwood plant called Artemisia in Latin is the, the best known sterilizing plant in the history of mankind. It's been known since antiquity that this is a, a very potent sterilizer. And they have just isolated one of the, the element in the Artemisia, Artemisia which is Artemisinin, uh, which is the sterilizing agent. And they put this into this syrup and they're providing this to the population saying that it is a cure, a prevention for COVID-19. Mm. Of course, COVID-19 does not exist. Not one person has died of COVID-19 because this does not exist. It doesn't even exist in a lab, by the way. Hmm. Uh, you see, they played a wonderful, uh, a wonderful, uh, wonderful theater. Yeah creating this fear that it was created in the lab, that it escaped from the lab, perhaps it was released on purpose as a bioweapon. Right. Uh, you know, 
launching now an investigation through the World Health Organization uh, uh, on China. The, 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 this is just a, a convoluted, complex lie that they're uh, that they're using. They're all collaborating in this uh, in this uh, hoax, right? Uh, in this in this illusion, in this fantasy, uh, if you want. And but it works because it sustains the fear. And let's face it, what is better? Is it better to just uh, you know uh, go out there and release a real virus that would kill you know uh, 10, 15, 20 percent of the population, or uh, cause another war to get rid of enough people to uh, balance the population resources, or by creating fear and just uh, eliminating you know through uh, civilized methods uh, enough of the old in the developed world, which has this inverted population pyramids, and sterilizing enough of the young in the developing world, which has these kind of population structures that keep increasing, right? Population keeps growing, and they need to get to this. And then ultimately to this kind of population structure, which is a stable one, which means enough young people working, sustaining, uh, creating wealth, just uh, you know enough old people to be able to be sustained by the working people, and just enough young people coming up to replace uh, the the living without either growing or decreasing right a stable population structure this is what they're aiming at uh, it is the, the greatest work of social engineering in the history of mankind uh, it takes multiple generations uh, in some countries it started well before uh, 1945 in countries like france the united kingdom italy spain and so on the church has been at the center of this for at least 1,000 years. They have practiced one form of population control or another. Uh, a war, uh, instigating war being one of them, um, uh, uh, spreading uh, pestilence, fam uh, pestilence, another one, uh, in order to prevent famine, prevent catastrophe, prevent social collapse. And it has worked. It has worked very well because, look, uh, it is because of this uh, work of social engineering that Europe has become the wealthiest, uh, the most civilized, with the most sophisticated infrastructure, and with the most uh, access uh, wealth to be able to fund, you know, uh, education, research, art, and so on. Uh, it, it is because of this, right? Has, somebody has to play God in human society mm. to do this great balancing act that in nature God does between the species and within species. But we are no longer a species uh, at the mercy of nature or in the hands of God, right? We, uh, society, civilization is of our, own, of, our own, of our own making, entirely of our own making. God has nothing to do with it. And someone had to assume the responsibility of playing God uh, in society just the way uh, uh, God plays this role in nature, and the church has assumed this role for the obvious reason that uh, it is the highest moral authority, and this has to be done, you know, uh, as gently as humanely as possible. Uh, and uh, this program of balancing human resources, this population control program, is as civilized as the society is civilized. Sure. Um, so we've got we've got a few minutes left. I've got about five minutes, um, and we've got to wind down. Uh, this has been a wonderful, uh, uh, really presentation on your your behalf, and and I appreciate you joining the program. And uh, you will be invited back on. I can see that you have an incredible amount of uh, of of uh, information and wisdom and knowledge. Uh, two things: first, for listeners to understand, uh, they can look at my website. They can go to 
go to your website, which I'm sure you'll provide, um, you have an extensive list of uh, educational uh, credentials. Uh, a, uh, do you have what are those degrees that you possess? And then B, what I'd like you to do is take a couple minutes and just close out um, financially, globally, what what you see happening uh, in regards to whether it be uh, uh, cryptocurrency uh, being in, installed on a, glo- a global uh, scale or, or what it may be. What what, what does what does the financial? Who's man, who's manipulating the financial aspects of this? Is it coming from the Vatican? Where is it coming from? Um, I know that's that's a lot to say in a few moments. Uh, but if you could if you could give your your uh, the degrees that you have, and then also how you see uh, how you see this uh, 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 playing out financially. You see, I had to uh, to get to gain all this uh, knowledge, this academic knowledge, because geopolitics involves every uh, human field, uh, every uh, uh, field of knowledge uh, in society: uh, politics, uh, environmentalism, uh, religion, uh, economics, um, uh, demographics, um, statistics, and so on. And I studied all of these uh, to gain just enough knowledge to be able to assemble this huge global picture. Uh, and I, this is a, obviously a, lear- a continuing a learning process. I monitor the system on a daily basis. I spend countless hours in reading all documents and so on to see uh, what their moves are because they don't. They keep everything uh, under taps. They don't tell us what they're doing. They they tell us a completely different thing. They have one story for the public and another one for right. for the insiders. And to be able to read them, you have to study uh, the data. You have to analyze the data with a clear, cool head. And to be able to analyze the data, you have to be um, um, knowledgeable in, uh, in all of these fields to, to just enough, to, to, to a degree enough to be able to put it all together. So that's uh, about uh, uh, education. My education continues and everybody's education should continue because this is a very fluent system. It moves very, very quickly now more than ever. Uh, where is it going? Yes, a digital currency, global currency uh, is coming. It is inevitable because uh, it, it will be the coercive agent to keep every country on earth uh, playing by the same rules. Right. What, what other means do it other than money? Right? Everybody needs money. It is a, uh, an immediate need. Uh, you can only sustain you know, uh, something like an ideology or a belief uh, for so long. When the, when the stomach starts growling, uh, all the beliefs and all the other ideologies become uh, uh, second. <laughs> so uh, the financial uh, element is uh, crucial to the sustenance of life and therefore works best. And in order to use the financial element as the coercive agent, they need a global digital currency so that every country plays by the same rules but also has the exact same opportunities. Now, with this, this discrepancy you know, in, uh, in, in, in currencies and what countries can buy uh, and cannot buy from the open markets, that limits uh, the ability of some countries to develop and advantages other countries. So this will, be, uh, will create an equal playing field is everybody uses the same currency. If it is digital, that will allow uh, central control. It will allow a very, very quick distribution. It will also prevent um, uh, tax evasion and so on. So the government will have uh, will be able to draw from the entire economy. There won't be any, any hidden economy anymore. There won't be any black economy anymore. Did um, we see what happens uh, with, the, with this COVID-19 pandemic? It has killed the black economy. It has annihilated the black economy because if you are uh, in the in the illegal economy, um, you have you were not able to receive any kind of aid. 
uh, we see how the big corporations are growing larger, and they have, um, depending on what field they're in, they're experiencing you know uh, uh, growth during this time of crisis. So the digital currency is coming; it will be global, and with, it will be the element that makes eventually, uh, in their near distant future, global governance possible. For the time being, they have created. Uh, the, uh, an incipient global government in the form of um, uh, of health authorities. You see that the right. World Organization was given the right to decide uh, for the entire world what governments should do. They uh, pass on, you know, their um, uh, their decrees and their decisions. Governments have to enforce them. Uh, so that is an incipient form of government government under the pretext of uh, health, of medicine and public health. Um, as I said, it's, it is not going to work. They have to bring it out in the open. The, the good thing is, however, is that they, everything they're trying to do now is, is honorable, is decent. Uh, all the goals, all, all of the objectives that they have are necessary and they're, and they're great. Uh, they're, um, we have to accomplish them. There's no other way around it. Right. And, and, uh, and they're doing it you know, in as humane a way as possible, far more humanely and gently than... Uh, this has ever been done in the past. And that is why, because of, of people like me, we've been breathing down their necks and mm -hmm. we've been shutting down you know, their avenues for, for uh, taking liberties with, with our human rights and with our lives, with our health and so on. Which is why we have to remain very, very vigilant. If we don't remain vigilant and apply huge pressure on the government, if we sleep, uh, then the government will take the easy way out. Uh, and will abuse its power because that is the nature of power. Uh, absolute power leads to absolute abuse, uh, and we don't want that to happen. We have to balance governmental power with uh, civil society power. Unfortunately, civil society has been taken over uh, uh, by by the system uh, because we can't really speak of governments anymore. It is the, all the, the, system, yeah. the big decisions are made internationally. Governments are just uh, following through on these decisions made internationally through consensus at the United Nations level. Uh, but we have to provide you know, this balance. We have to recreate civil society because they keep infiltrating civil society organizations. They take them over from the top. They fund you know, their Correct. own people at the top, and they keep people turning right. around in circles, accomplishing absolutely nothing, which is why you see that all of these leaders of uh, civil society organizations that are famous, that have a big name, they never mention the population control program. They never mention, uh, for instance, that uh, that uh, vaccines are a population control element, that that's their only reason nowadays. And they, now they never mention that the COVID-19 pandemic or the pandemic is actually a decarbonization strategy. Because were they to mention this, they would ruin the plans and all of these investments and all uh, that, that that the internet, the entire system has has undertaken. They have basically jumped off a cliff now. They have done something that has never been done before. They've jumped off a cliff into the unknown, uh, and they've done this all holding hands, and they're dragging us all behind them. Uh, this has never been done before. Very dangerous. Where is it going to end up? Nobody knows. Yeah. Um, this, it is, but there will be hardship that is certain. A right. lot of people will fall through the cracks as they always do. Kevin, thank you for joining the program. Uh, we're out of time. I've got to make way for William Arkin. Uh, 
But uh, please uh, direct listeners to a website uh, where they can find more information. I know that you've kindly sent me a number of your publications. Um, yes. uh, uh, some closing, uh, closing comments for you, for listeners, please. Uh, they can find me on Academia under the name, my, name, my last name, Galilee, Academia. Uh, we'll find all my written work there on YouTube, Galilee, Kevin Galilee, YouTube. They will find all my uh, educational videos there and some speeches and so on. I keep, I keep uh, putting them out. And, of course, for my daily updates and commentaries and analysis, they find me on Facebook um, under my name, Kevin Muger Galilee or Kevin Galilee, which is my official uh, site on Facebook. Wonderful. Thank you very much for joining. Uh, keep up the great work. We'll be in touch with you. Uh, thank you very much, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Kevin Galilei, uh, he's clearly dove in exactly down the role that, uh, the hole, rather, that um, that is needed to be diving down. He gives a broad view of what is unfolding globally and that's uh that's that's uh of great value so uh, ladies and gentlemen kevin galilei that's g-a-l-a-l-a-e uh, follow what he's doing and uh i'll close out uh this episode folks of discussing the truth uh i will be back remaining here on air uh winwood1.com miami radio i uh will be back with uh william argan uh, thanks for tuning in. Discuss your truth. Ian Trache.